0: I just want to give a quick uh, shout out to all the underdogs in the world: Oklahoma State over mighty Texas, UNC uh, over Wyoming. Or no, sorry, uh, Colorado State over Wyoming. Yeah, that's what I said. UNC over what? Oh man, I'm I'm sorely misinformed on that one. I even tried to check in on that. Well. We start a new sermon series this morning. For the next nine weeks, we're going to look through uh, the book of 1 Timothy. So what I want you to do is, if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open those up. We're going to start in chapter one. Uh, we're going to actually start here in a couple of minutes. We're going to, in this first twelve verses, we're going to hodgepodge around a little bit. Other sermons will kind of go through exactly verse by verse as it is. So you'll want to bring your Bibles for the next nine weeks uh, as we go through First Timothy. What is First Timothy? First Timothy is a letter from Paul, the Apostle Paul, to a young pastor named Timothy. And Paul had established this church in the town of Ephesus, okay? Uh, Even to this day in the town of Ephesus, we see the marks of Christians. If you've uh, been able to travel over there, you can walk up and down what are the old market streets. And in the streets where some of the Christian um, people were that owned their own businesses, they would mark the sign of the Christians with a fish. And those markings can be still found on the cobblestone streets in Ephesus. So if you happen to be traveling, look for those. You'll know you'll be walking in the footsteps of history. So it's pretty fun as we contemplate this, this church in Ephesus. The church in Ephesus is um, a foundational, it's a rock place. It's a kind of place where people would come, find out about the blessings of God, realize that the church had changed in its emphasis and, and its approach. And so here is Paul, kind of the big daddy, telling the young pastor hey, don't worry about the fact that people don't show up all the time. Don't worry about the fact that there's a little bit of infighting. Don't worry about the fact that, hey, people just are, they're kind of uncomfortable with change. It's always good, right, to be encouraged. By someone that's been there and done that, you know. Because if you if you kind of s- sit around, I, I know many of you don't necessarily think of me as the young pastor. I have been here nine and a half years. I know this next February celebrates ten years of me being here at Family of Christ. Well, I I don't know. I'm not I'm not the young guy anymore. You know. I mean, uh, push those middle forties, and you now you know I'm really starting to think about things a little differently. But it is incumbent upon me to remind us over and over and over that the church is not about a building. I never thought it was. If I've given off that impression, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. No, the church has always been, under, uh, under my understanding, about you. The church has always been about God's people coming together, being the hands and feet of Christ, as we just noticed in that video. The church has never been about the accoutrements or the enough parking spaces. The church has never been about what worship time is the best or not. It has never been about who is sitting in what area of the sanctuary. It's never been about an altar, a cross, or communion where. The church has never been about those things. The church has always been about Jesus Christ. The church has always been about taking the message of Jesus Christ to the lost. And so the church is always about the grouping of believers that put their faith, hope, and trust into the very word of God because it's active and living. Isn't that what's incredible about the word of God? It is a living thing. What it means is, is that it does what it's supposed to do. This is why God can speak light. And all of a sudden, out of darkness, came light. He can speak animals into being, right? Aardvark. And boom, there was an aardvark, right? Flea, And we're like, oh, no, not the fleas. And then when he got to the M's in the alphabet and we got the mosquito, we're like, oh, Lord, do you really know what you're doing? But that's the power he has when he speaks Word, word comes into flesh and it does what it says it will do. This is why when somebody says, bless you, right? What they're asking is that God bless you. You know, a little German background and heritage for us Gesundheit, good health to you, okay? They're, they're, they're giving a blessing. Unlike sometimes in my house, we'd sneeze, and be like, don't get the germs all over the place. Cover your mouth, would you? Well, see, the church has never covered its mouth. I want you to understand that. The church has always been a blessing to the people around them. The church has always served the needs of the poor. The church has always filled in the gap when the widows didn't have family to take care of them. The church has always been the hands and feet of Christ. Now, it hasn't always done it very well. I mean, to be honest, the crusades were not one of our finest hours. I just read carefully. Oh no, we were championing for Jesus. No, we weren't. We were bloodthirsty and we took out some people because it affected our pocketbook. Sorry. The church, many times when it's abused why it was put together, it often gets to a pocketbook. Catholic doctrine, in fact, advanced for indulgences. You can buy your forgiveness. You know why? The Pope wanted a new cathedral. So unfortunately, we have to be reminded what is the purpose of the church, and that's why we're going to go through First Timothy together. Because I think oftentimes, even staff, even pastors, we can be sidelined occasionally. We can get caught up in things that aren't about the church. We just have to have a reset. Kind of need to reboot, reacquaint ourselves, go over the definitions again, and look in God's holy word and say, "Okay, how is it supposed to happen?" What is it supposed to look like? Verse 8. I want to remind you in this section, I know I didn't start with verse 1, it's going to weird some of you out, but I want you to understand in this first section, it is about God's law. And the church has to correctly understand what is God's law. So verse 8, we know that the law is good if one uses it, Properly. Now, I know we probably have a lot of examples of the law of God being used improperly, right? Let me just give you an example of what this might sound like. I, it would never happen in my household, but I want to let you know what this might sound like. <clears throat> this is an improper use of the law. Cooper, I would like you to leave your sister alone. I will. No, you won't. I want you to leave your sister alone. Oh, I will, Dad. I I promise. If you don't leave your sister alone, baby Jesus will cry. Okay, I was doing real good up until the last sentence. Okay, that's an improper use of the law. It's the cajoling falsely, right? It's putting things out there to try to guilt people into right behavior. Your parents maybe have did it a different way. The church has been known to do it different ways in society. So it's no wonder that people who are not a part of the church, and again, the church is not in a building. The church are God's people gathered together being godly. And wherever two or three are there, Jesus is there in your midst. And it's not you doing the good stuff, but Jesus in you that is doing the good stuff. And so, where that is, that's where the church is. It's not necessarily here, it's not at 675 West Baptist Road. Oh, we come together to worship, we come together to fellowship, to pray together but this isn't being church. So if your parents told you, if you don't go to church, you're not a Christian, that's an improper use of the law. There are plenty of people who go to church but they don't act like the church. And that's what should stop us cold in our tracks today. That's what should stop us from, from being these kinds of people that just, well, I checked it off. I went to church. Tr- I did my thing. Improper use of the law. So what are the proper uses of the law? All right, let me just run down through this. We use, utilize three terms to explain the proper use of the law, and that is curb, mirror, and guide. So let me explain this to you. A curb, God's law is meant to curb, right? You're in a road, there's two curbs. If you're in a car, you can only go so far to the left and so far to the right. Right. that's the curb. So God's law is meant to curb our sinful behavior. And you go, oh no, no. you know, I I grew up with very godly parents. There was no sin in our household. Oh, really? Are any of you people here today that are, are, you were so holy, right? No, no, this is for the ungodly and the godly alike. God's use of the law, we call this the first use of God's law, is to curb our natural sinful behavior. We naturally lie. Steal, cheat, commit adultery, covet, get uh, uh, and worship idols. These are the things we naturally do. That's the old Adam that lives in us. You go well. If it's natural, (laughs) well, let me keep on doing it. No. God says it's not good for you. Well, no. I. I mean. You hear the nation of Israel, right? They were looking around and said, well, other nations have multiple wives. Why can't we? I'm telling you, you can't, you can't handle multiple wives. All the ladies, can I get an amen on that? See? You, that's exactly right. can barely handle the one I got. So there's the problem, right? So it curb. So the law curbs our natural sinful behavior. And God put those laws out there for all of mankind, whether, they're, whether they believe in him or not. Mirror. Okay? I work on this one, I try to. A mirror is literally, I will stand in front of the mirror occasionally, right? I will stand in front of that mirror. I will look at that guy in the mirror after going, No. You know, so you start out and you're like, man, you look good, and gosh darn it, people like you, right? No. Now, the job of the mirror is for, again, both believer and unbeliever alike, the job of the mirror is to make you look back at yourself and go, you're a sinner. That's what God's law does, is it says you're a sinner. It says to you, you don't have it all right. You aren't getting it right. In fact, let me just pick a place in here, read it, and go, are you doing that? Are you taking care of the poor? Well, no, I kind of drive by the poor. It irritates me that they're there. Are you taking care of the fatherless? No, that's not my calling. Let somebody else adopt those kids. Are you honoring the Sabbath day and keeping it holy? Well, I, I mean, I do twice a month. I mean, I figure that's good enough. That's more than zero. I need a mirror that reminds me I'm a sinner. And not just to be reminded so as to put me down or to make me feel bad, but to point me to go, man, if I'm a sinner in need of God's grace, then what else is there? And so God's law points us back to Jesus with that second use. The third use of the law is guide let you picture is that you're on a mountain and you're walking through areas where there are crevasses and so the guide who's marked out the route says this to you the client walk only in my footsteps when I walk you walk and if I back up you back up but don't go thinking well it's only an inch outside your footstep I'll just I'll just step a little bit wider. I mean, you're kind of narrow-shouldered, and so it kind of weirds me out to have to walk this narrow line that you're walking. I'd much prefer to walk, you know, a little wider steps. This third use of the law is meant for Christians. You see, we can't expect unbelievers to walk in Jesus' footsteps because they don't acknowledge him as Lord and Savior. So this is why Christians have the third use of the law. It says, this is how you should walk each and every day. And this is the one that I swear, as Christians, this makes the greatest impact into the world we live in. Because while the third use of the law is not for unbelievers, it's the one that most impacts them. Because when they see you walking outside the footsteps of the master, then they say, what's the point of following the master. See, God doesn't expect an unbeliever to follow in his footsteps until he becomes a believer. And friends, that's why our mission statement is the way that it is. It is reaching those who don't yet know Jesus Christ. When are we going to wake up and be the church and say, "Yep, you know what? That is why we exist. That is why we put energy and effort into what we do. It's not for a building. It's not to build a country club. When the offering plate passes by, right, and, and I place something in there, it's it's not to pay bills. It's so that the lost can be reached." It's so that people can be lifted up and encouraged. It's so that when somebody is down and out, we, I know for a fact that we can help them. And yeah, we come together. The last half of our mission statement says we, we reach the lost by strengthening and equipping those who do know Jesus Christ. So that's part of what worship is. You correctly come to worship. Why? To be fed. To be encouraged. To be lifted up. To pray. To be, in, to be shown God's law. To be brought to repentance. So that you can stand up again, equipped for the good fight, and then go be the church. So if you're not being the church, then you're wasting your time. Oh, but I feel a lot better when I go to worship. I feel encouraged. Well, great for you. But you've got a neighbor, a coworker, You've got somebody on your kid's softball or, or football or basketball team that needs to know that you walk in the footsteps of the master. I mentioned last week that uh, one of our non-member members, uh, someone that had been worshiping with us for about the last two years, had joined a life group, uh, committed suicide last weekend. And he, uh, he's had a, a rough life. I mean, he, he made some bad choices. He's, he was going through a pretty rough and dark patch. And I got an email this week from someone that's uh, not a member of this church. She said, Pastor Dyer, I just want to let you know that I heard of this man's uh, suicide and I, w- and I also want to let you know I heard that he had been coming to church with you for a couple years and had been a part of what you call life groups. And I just want to say thank you for being a church that would accept him Because I happen to know he wasn't welcome at at least two other churches. So thank you. You see, being the church means walking alongside people that are going through crap in the midst of your own stuff. Because otherwise... Why do we come? Just to feel better? We do life with the three houses around us. Across the street, the two ladies next to us, they're all single women. One widow, two divorced. The lady across the street has a son in his his early 20s who... Was in a snowboarding accident two seasons ago and uh, has a traumatic brain injury and lives in her basement. Hasn't been out of the basement for nearly two years except to go to a doctor's appointment. And uh, we pray for him and the kids pray for him. <clears throat> and last week when the sun was really nice out, it was warm, uh, the kids and I were going to go on a Just a quick bike ride around the around the neighborhood and out the front door comes Jordy. And Cooper's like, Damn, it's Jordy. He's alive. (laughs) (laughs) And he walks all the way across the street and you know he's got sunglasses on and he said, "Yeah, hey David, I, I I tried to come over and just say hi to you guys. It's kind of the last two weeks of the first time in two years that I've felt strong enough and can kind of get outside. The lights are still a little bright, so I'm, I apologize that my sunglasses on. You can't see my eyes. I mean, I was like, who thinks about this?" And he said, "I want you to know. I, I know you guys have been praying for me, and I just want to say thank you." see, being the hands and feet of Christ, I'm not talking about, well, we took on the debt of our neighbors and paid off their mortgage, look at us. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about loving kindness, prayer, checking in on your neighbors. He said, I know your mom, when she was living with you, would... Send my mom a couple of Bible verses, and I want you to know she passed them down in the basement to me. You see, that's what we're talking about, about being the church. He's a believer, okay? It's not that he's an unbeliever, but he was in a, literally and figuratively, a dark hole for two years. So, so being the church is being salt and light into the midst of people's lives that are in darkness. And so that's why we care about walking in the footsteps of the master. And some people will say, well, are any of those families coming to our church? Are they putting any money in the offering? No, and none of them will. I know the church that all three of those ladies go to, and it's different, different churches. It doesn't mean that I don't do life with them. Because why? Because they're going to impact someone at their work. One of the ladies is a a recovery, an alcohol recovery counselor. You don't think she's going to speak the word of God into the lives of of her clients? Do you think she ever comes home feeling dejected, rejected, in any way feeling like her work is futile and useless? Only be encouraged by the local pastor of the Lutheran church with a glass of wine (laughs) say Heather it looks like it was a rough day I can't talk about it I know believe me I know (laughs) sit here on this porch swing let's just enjoy this glass of wine See, this is what Paul's doing he's writing to Timothy and he's saying be encouraged son I know it's hard, I know it's dark, I know it's challenging, and people have a lot of their own expectations of what the church is, but you keep reminding them, keep pushing them towards walking in the footsteps of the master to go be the church. Now, how do I know that's Paul's main emphasis? Verse 1 Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God, our Savior. I imagine there are times that uh, Timothy wanted to quit. You know how I know that? Because your pastor's the same way. I've wanted to quit a bunch of times. I have a prayer life sometimes just God, they don't get it. I don't care. They want to do their own thing. But it's a calling. And in the midst of all of those kinds of deep and dark and despairing thoughts and and seemingless inaction, I am always reminded by the grace of God that I have been called, called to be here. To Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, that's why I start out most of the sermons that way. Grace, peace, and mercy be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. I don't just say it to whip something out. I say it because I want God's grace, peace, and mercy to be for you. To be encouraged and lifted up here so that then when we leave this place, we can be the church. Motivated by God's love. Right. The goal of this command, verse 5, is love which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. The reason we have been called to be the church is out of that compulsion. We don't do it because it gives us a paycheck. We don't do it because we get our name in lights. We don't do it because people know who we are. No, we do it because we have a sincere faith. And a sincere faith means a real faith, a faith that is actually put into action. Right? You hear Paul's words. Or actually, sorry, not Paul, James's words. Faith without works is dead faith. And so to be the church means that we put God's law into action. And it's not out of compulsion or or being put down or having some weight. It's out of love that says, I want to have a sincere faith. And what does a sincere faith look like? It means we're obedient to God. It means we read God's word. It means we do fellowship together. It means we do. As the offering plate is passed, you know what? We give him a best. We give him the best of what we've got. Why? Because God says, this is honoring and pleasing to me. That's what being the church is. Well, I don't like the color of the carpet. I don't care, God says. I didn't ask you, God says. And that's the rub. That's the challenge is that being the church means we're obedient. And when we're not obedient to God, the rest of the world, I guarantee you, sees us and says, (laughs) then what's the point? I mean, I, I thought you were following somebody oh, so you're just like me, just going to do your own thing. And this is a conviction for the church. The reason Timothy is getting on him is back down here at the end of verse 8, sorry, 9, we also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for the lawbreakers and the rebels. You see, the reason Paul calls this out in this church is because many in the church have become lawbreakers. The ungodly. They've become sinful, they're unholy, irreligious, they kill their fathers and mothers, they're they're murderers, they're adulterers, slave traders, liars, and perjurers. That's a description of the church. So this is where we need to start. We need to admit that we have not done this being the church well. We need to admit that we've probably come for our own reasons and our own thoughts and our own desires. And we need to confess that. We need to ask God for forgiveness. That what we have tried to make church is about being comfortable, rather than realizing that worship is the place where I receive benefit after benefit from God, and then I am sent to be the church, the very hands and feet of Christ. Let's bow our heads. Father,